listening to episode 18, chapter 2 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Leo Sanchez. Leo Sanchez is the Warner R.H. and Elizabeth R. Krauss Professor of Hispanic Ministries at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. A faculty member since 2004, he's Professor of Systematic Theology and Director of the Seminary's Center for Hispanic Studies. He received his Doctor of Philosophy from Concordia Seminary and his Master of Divinity from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He holds a bachelor's degree from Concordia University, Wisconsin, in Mequon. Leo teaches regularly in the United States and abroad, and he's delivered courses and workshops in Brazil, Cuba, India, Ghana, Chile, Panama, Argentina, and Venezuela. He has participated in various colloquies on pedagogy through the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. In his community, Leo is principal double bass player with the St. Louis Civic Orchestra, and he also enjoys swimming and international cooking. He and his wife, Tracy Lynn, have two children, Lucas Antonio and Anna Victoria. Do you think it's actually possible to live your life the way Jesus did? He calls us to follow him, but is it really possible to follow him faithfully? We often think the only reason Jesus was able to do the will of his Father and live a sinless life was because he was God. But if that's true, then what chance do we have of ever faithfully living up to the calling that he has set before us? How can we walk as his disciples and become more like him? Leo's five models of sanctification derived from a spirit Christology deals with these questions. These models not only provide us with images of what a life in Christ looks like, but they give us a clear map forward so we can begin walking in the power of the Holy Spirit so our lives are transformed into the likeness of Jesus's. You lay out five models of sanctification here, and I want to dive uh, deep in, as deep as we can go. I know we won't be able to... to, to uh, plunge the, the full depths of them. Um, but what do you mean by a model first? Like, and how, how do we, how do we construct these models to look at sanctification? What is that? Yeah. Well, um, I would say that, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to describe what sanctification looks like. So in order to do that, uh, you have to define sanctification, I think in a certain way, uh, and then explore what are the biblical images? What are the, the ways in which, in which the church has thought about the work of the Spirit? So in other words, uh, you, you, you need first to define sanctification and then find different ways of describing it. So for me, sanctification uh, is defined in terms of Christ-likeness, right? So in other words, um, in my research, I found out that every time that early church fathers define uh, who the Spirit is, that they want to say both that He is God, but also that He is God so that He can sanctify us. So arguments for the divinity of the Spirit are never disconnected 
from saying that the point of his being divine is so that he might make us holy. And then the next point after that is, what does it mean to be made holy? Well, it means to be made after the likeness of Christ in some way. It's to be shaped, to be formed, uh, you know, uh, uh, after the image or likeness of Christ. And I think that's why I came up with that sculpture spirit model. You know, I started to think of the spirit as sculpting the form of Christ in us. So the next question was, how does scripture the church is thinking about scripture over time, contemporary theologians, how do they talk about making holy by forming Christ in us? And that led to the idea of models. So models are like, um, models would be like a conglomeration, a bringing together of biblical images, um, teachings from the uh, early church fathers, um, reflections from contemporary theologians, and I sort of put that into categories. So you have different models, and each model is kind of a um, a group of descriptions that have an affinity with each other and describe the Christian life in a certain way. Um, and each model addresses different issues in the Christian life. So in that way, they're sort of like uh, models that engineers put together, right? So they'll have a model, they create a model and and then they test it to see if it helps to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Uh, and, you know, so this is kind of what's behind the idea of models. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I just wanted to help clarify because I think sometimes when we think of a model, we can think of uh, maybe a how-to guide. And so <laughs> I want to make sure people aren't thinking it's like a, this model is, you know, a how-to guide to sanctification or anything like that. Well, we do stuff like that in theology all the time. We look at a certain perspective as the end-all approach to looking at something in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so we get caught up thinking, oh, well, spirit Christology is the only way to look at Christ, mm -hmm. or uh, the... Uh, um, I'm blanking on the word. <laughs> <laughs> this also happens in theology. <laughs> uh, the penal substitutionary uh, yeah. uh, way of looking at the atonement is the only way to, to think of the atonement. And really, these are just different ways of describing something that is sometimes, I think, really beyond our ability to mm -hmm. describe in the first place. It's, it's something that is totally of God and not of us, and we're, we're trying to find ways to describe that. Really, we're trying to find... Uh, analogies, metaphors, parables, if you will, to to describe what we're trying to uh, learn from our our God, our Creator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So another way of saying the same thing is that I was trying to find sanctification handles. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I like that. You know, just a way to, to get a handle on what sanctification might look like, and you know, at some point, you have to stop writing. So I just sort of said, here are five <laughs> ways of doing it. <laughs> five ways of thinking about sanctification. There could be more, but at least this gets the conversation going. And I love it. And and I love the you gave permission in the book, and I even told Josh, I said, I love when writers do this. And you said, you know, you don't even have to read this book from page one all the way through. Like, Go and find what you're interested in and read that model for what it has to offer. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I really appreciate that. It makes the book very accessible. I mean, you deal with a lot of deep material 
Um, but it's very accessible from that perspective of you don't have to have read every other page that came before it to, to get just open it up and start with a model. Absolutely. In fact, I would I would recommend that any lay person who picks up the book, and I would say this even of, the, of theologians uh, or church leaders, that if that I would actually recommend that people go right into the models. Uh, in other words, go right to the uh, middle chapters uh, and just go through each of the models. And the book was written in such a way that you could do that. And then if, uh, if you feel uh, led by the Spirit, shall we say, to keep on reading, <laughs> <laughs> then you can go to the book end chapters, chapters one and two, and then the last chapter. Uh, because, you know, they could be a... a it could be a little bit more uh, jargonic, let's say, a little more jargon in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're interested in the history of how spirit Christology comes about, and yeah, it goes a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, stuff, absolutely. So. Um, so let's start looking at some of these models. Your first model that you talk about is the renewal model, and you say it, it has to do with killing the old sinful creature and raising the new creature in the waters of baptism. The spirit conforms us to Christ's death and resurrection. Unpack that for us. Well, so um, so remember, again, the whole uh, idea here is to first see what the Spirit is doing in Christ, with Christ, through Christ, and establish that there's a certain sort of pattern. Then because Christ gives us His Spirit, then His Spirit shapes us after the likeness of that pattern, see, after the likeness of Christ. So I try to do that in every um, uh, chapter for every model. I try to show first, you know, what is the pattern of a spirit-led life as it shows in Christ's own life? And then how, is our, uh, how are our lives patterned after Christ's own life uh, through the work of the sculpture spirit? So that's the idea, you know. So in the case of the renewal model, this is the death and resurrection model. So if you look at Christ's own life in the Spirit, um, one of the insights that we have from the Scriptures is that when he's anointed for his mission, he's anointed as the servant of Yahweh. Um, this is my beloved son, or you are my beloved son, depending on the version you're reading, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I am well pleased, are words from uh, uh, Isaiah, referring to the servant, one of the servant songs. And so, as one of my students used to say, at the Jordan, Jesus is anointed to go to the cross. He's anointed to, to die. So there's a certain pattern of life in the Spirit, you know, Jesus is the anointed one who goes to the cross for us. But uh, we also think of uh, Paul in Romans 1-4, for example, when he talks about how he, uh, he the Son, is also raised um, according to the Spirit of holiness. He is designated. He's uh, made Son of God in power through the resurrection, uh, according to the Holy Spirit, we might say. So Christ's own life in the Spirit is a life of death and resurrection. What's interesting then is that in the New Testament, when Paul talks about the Christian life, for example, he speaks of it in uh, the pattern of death 
and resurrection. You know, so Christians are called to die with Christ. In the case of Christians, that means crucifying their old self so that they might make room for the new life uh, in Christ to be displayed in their lives. Um, so that's the renewal model. You, you see how, how life in the Spirit for Christians is patterned in some ways after Christ's own life in the Spirit. And so the renewal model really uh, has this cyclical way of describing sanctification. Sanctification is a daily dying and being raised to new life in Christ. So one of the things I love about looking at spirit Christology, and, and I think this model in particular, I mean, all the models are, are so helpful, but this one is the one where, I, like, you know, that dying to self daily, like that seems like it has to be the starting place for all of this sanctification. And what spirit Christology has really opened my eyes to, one of the questions we like to ask our guests is, what is the most valuable thing that you've learned in the Christian life? We might ask you that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, sure, um, sure. <laughs> but for me, it has been one of the most valuable things that I have learned is that the way Jesus lived his life actually matters for how I live my life. Yeah. And so I think like it's a subtle point. I mean, it's easy to say, like, oh, yeah, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, or, you know, we're crucified with Christ. But it's so easy to disconnect the fact that we're actually supposed to pattern our own lives after the that way that Jesus lived. He did it because he was Jesus. Yeah, he was yeah. the son of God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it goes back to his divinity. Yeah. Like he could do it because of that reason. Yeah, that's right. And that's a logos Christology argument. That the reason why Jesus lives the life he lives of obedience and service is because he is God. And we're not against that. But here's what a spirit Christology does. Uh, spirit Christology, um, one of the big takeaways of a spirit Christology is that by giving us his spirit, we are now made participants into his spirit life. So spirit Christology allows for human participation in the life of the Son in a way that Logos Christology uh, does not make immediately evident. So, for example, if Jesus does something because he is God, and he is, that's good for us. But how can we possibly live according to that? We couldn't because we're not God. You know? So a Logos Christology is very good in showing the discontinuity between Jesus and us. In other words, how we are not like him. Whereas a spirit Christology helps you to see the relative continuity between Jesus and us. How are we like him? We're like him in that we have a spirit anointed, you might say, humanity. Just as he had one. And in that sense, you know, through the spirit, we become fully the humans that God wants us to be. As that full, true humanity is embodied in the Son and in his own life. So a spirit Christology makes Christology participatory. You know, it makes us participants in the mystery of Christ's life by the Spirit whom we share in common. Yes, yes. It, it's it's that connecting point. Yeah, because it's with, the connecting point. Because without the Spirit, it just falls on our own willpower and our own effort. And we all know how 
uh, inadequate that is because there's failure every day. And it's the reason why we need this renewal model. Oh, and I love the connecting point idea that you mentioned because, you know, I struggle with that too. Um, if you think of Jesus as kind of being out there somewhere, and then he's supposed to be my example or, you know, of how to live a, a spirit-filled life. So I'm looking at him, you know, he's out there somewhere. And so I have to somehow cross this divide between my life and his life out there. And I just didn't think that we could do it. I mean, how do you do this, you know? But what if the spirit sort of brings Christ to us and then works Christ in and through us so that we might embody what it means to live a Christ-like life. Well, then the Spirit is sort of crossing the divide, you see. Uh, and this is what I think I probably was very comfortable with the sculpture image, you know, uh, because it highlights the divine giftedness of the Spirit, which kind of bridges that, that chasm, you know, between Christ out there and Christ in here. And, and, the, and the Spirit sort of brings that together in a way that mere imitation language maybe doesn't get to quite as much as formation language. Yeah. And I, I just love the empowerment image there, too, because I look at uh, you think you take the three temptations of Jesus. And again, you know, that, that's a common one that people like to argue about, like, could Jesus have fallen into temptation in that point? And, right. um, it, you know, again, it's a typical Logos Christology uh, argument that you make. But the point is, is it's like Jesus was willing to lay down, he, he was willing to empty himself, even in those moments, and say, not my will, but that the Father's will be done. And so it, it does. It, it gives me hope that, that if the Spirit enabled Jesus to do that, and that same spirit is available to me today, then it really is possible to do this thing. I have to die to myself. I have to give up my own desires, and that's going to hurt, and it's not going to feel good, but it is possible. <laughs> and I think that's really clearly demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, the, just the sheer agony that would cause a physical body to sweat blood, that's not Jesus isn't making an easy decision at that point. <laughs> it's not something that he just said, yep, your will be done, Father. I'm going to go do this. Yeah. That, was, that came with great struggle. Yeah. And yeah. he submitted to the, to the will of the Spirit, the will of the Father. When you're faced with temptation to do something you know you shouldn't, there's an internal tension. Part of you wants so badly to do what you shouldn't, but another part of you wants to become more like Christ. And that tension can leave you feeling like it's impossible to say no to that temptation. Well, I want to both encourage and challenge you today. So first, look at the way Jesus lived his life. The same spirit who helped Jesus overcome temptation in the desert also helped him say yes to the Father's will in the garden. Jesus is now given that same spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit actively wants to help you in the same way he helped Jesus. So the next time you face temptation, whether it's today, tomorrow, or later this week, take a moment and remember the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. Remember your spirit Christology. Then say a quick word of thanks to God for his work to sculpt you into the same image as Jesus Christ. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Leo Sanchez and his work, check out concordiatheology.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Leo takes us through the drama of the Spirit's work. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.